Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to Blonde Hair, Black Heart. Later on in the episode, I sit down with the hit maker behind some of the greatest pop songs of our generation. I'm talking Teenage Dream, California Girls, Dynamite, Hold It Against Me, so many hits. And not only that, but she's had quite the career as a performer herself. I'm talking about the one and only Bonnie McKee. If you don't know her solo stuff, go give it a listen after this episode. Some of my favorites are Bombastic, I Want It All, Thorns, and of course, American Girl, which was like the gay anthem of 2015. So stick around for our chat. She's literally the best, and we had such a great combo. She talks about the nicest people she's worked with in the industry and names someone who she will never work with again, T. But first, I'm going to be recapping last week's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and oh, you might have heard I got myself mixed up in some drama this weekend. Who me? Couldn't be. Well, what a weird few days it's been, honestly. It's like I got a front-of-the-line pass for Mrs. Rat's Wild Ride. (laughs) So let me tell you guys all about how I found myself smack dab in the middle of a Real Housewives storyline. So I'm sure you guys saw that last Thursday I put out a special bonus episode with an exclusive interview with Patrick Summers, the guy who claimed Lisa Rinna doxed him, and he doxed her back. In our interview, he revealed how he supposedly knew Rinna, how their feud began with her saying some racially insensitive things about him, how she texted him first to apologize and then deleted her text prior to posting the screenshot doxing him, and that since all of this occurred, he and his attorneys had served Rinna with a lawsuit for releasing his phone number online and that she had 15 days to respond. Oh, and he also claimed to know that Harry Hamlin was gay. About six or so hours after my interview with Patrick went live, I was sent a tweet with screenshots of DMs between Patrick and another account, Your Moms Are Watching, where he basically admitted that everything he told me and everything he'd been saying publicly since all of this came to light was completely fabricated. It was all bullshit. He doesn't even know Lisa Rinna, and all of this was done because he's a marketing manager who was hired by another Real Housewife whose last name rhymes with Milton to take attention off of her and put it onto Rinna. Insert mind-blown emoji here. Of course, my first gut instinct was that these DMs were fake. There's no way, right? So I sent Patrick the DMs. I, I didn't even say anything. I just forwarded him the tweet that was sent to me. And a few minutes later, he replied and said, It's true. My background is in marketing, and I was hired by a private client. Um, <laughs> okay. So when I tell you guys that my heart stopped, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, I was shocked. For so many reasons, which we will get into, but also um, I felt used and I was scared at how my listeners were going to take this. Honestly, uh, would I be blamed or lumped in with his lies because I unknowingly gave a total con man this platform? So with that in mind, I have to say publicly to you guys, my listeners, that I'm sorry. Obviously, I didn't know what he was going to say or that he was full of shit, but I am sorry that I presented an interview to you guys thinking it was truth when in reality it was a flaming bag of dog shit. That's a big ol' my bad, you guys. Um, secondly, I do feel like I need to apologize to Lisa Rinna. Um, my listeners know that I'm not a huge Rinna fan, but I'm also not a hateful person, and while I can be shady as hell on this podcast, my intention is never to throw damaging accusations at anyone if they're not true. So, for giving a person a platform to lie about you in such a negative and harmful way, I am really sorry, Lisa Rinna. Now for all of the rat jokes that I make, 
not so sorry. But I know where the line is. <laughs> Alright, now let's try and unpack this whole damn mess, okay? After myself and your moms are watching publicly exposed Patrick as a fraud, he came out with his own statement where he admitted to all of this. Pretty instantly, Lisa Rinna herself entered the chat by posting to her story, the jig is up. She then shared your moms are watching's DMs with Patrick. I then posted a video to my Instagram, basically expressing how used I felt and my utter confusion over the whole thing, because trust me when I say that my head was spinning at this point, um, and Rinna shared my video. Later, Patrick retracted his statement, claiming it was Kathy Hilton, and now he says that the DMs between he and your moms are watching were fabricated, despite him admitting to me that it was all true. I honestly got whiplash from this guy's back and forth. So the next 24 hours or so were absolutely insane. My notifications on social media were out of control, my DMs were on fire, and I was getting so many messages from people with lots of theories on this whole mess. A lot of fingers pointing in a lot of different directions. Alright, theory number one. Patrick's first admission to Your Moms Are Watching is the truth. He was hired by Kathy Hilton after Rinna went on an anti-Kathy posting spree in the few months after their Aspen trip. But here are the things about this theory that just don't add up. Why would he admit the truth? If he was hired to do a job and he did it, why did he admit that it was all fake a mere six hours later? And he claims he signed an NDA. Isn't this all breaking the NDA? Also, he gave a very specific dollar amount about how much he was paid for all of this, and it was a very random figure, and it also seemed pretty cheap for a Hilton-level con job. So, I don't know. Theory 2. Lisa Rinna is behind all of this. She hired this guy to create all of this online drama, and there are a couple possible reasons as to why she might do this. One, because she's Lisa Rinna and she's fame-hungry. Very plausible. Two, all of this was done to point a finger at Kathy and discredit her. And let's think about it. This entire thing depended on Rinna posting someone's phone number. No one could have predicted that she would have done that. So there's a strong possibility that she was in on all of this and that posting the phone number was just phase one of her master plan. But would Rinna really allow someone to say such bad things about her, you know, like that she's a racist, even if she knew that it would be discredited later? Because we all know when things are online, they're forever. Even if someone takes a comment back, there will always be people who believe it. And would she really go so far as to put her own phone number online? I mean, I don't know, fame hungry. So again, plausible. Theory number three. Patrick is a literal nobody who saw Lisa Rinna posted someone else's phone number and just completely made up the fact that it was his. He was never involved in the texts with Lisa Rinna, but when he saw that she posted this, he said, hey, that's me, and it just snowballed. What came next was lie after lie after lie until it came crashing down. All of this relies on Patrick being a complete pathological liar and a total sociopath, which, after talking to him, I fully believe. It still doesn't answer, though, why he would admit it was all a lie immediately after. That, that remains the biggest mystery to me in all of this. And there are some other things that don't add up, and people have become super invested in this and have been looking for clues and easter eggs and all of it, and maybe that was Patrick's plan all along. Like I said, sociopath. Some people thought the very specific dollar amount that he claimed to be paid was actually another phone number, but I couldn't find anything attached to that number that would connect him to Rinna or Kathy. Some people think that his name isn't even really Patrick Summers and that he made up a completely different identity, but someone else found his mom's Instagram and sent it to me. Then there are some people who think that this other account that he confessed to, your moms are watching, had to be involved somehow. Now I'll admit, this is a theory I kind of mulled over for a bit. Because again, my biggest question mark all along has been, why would he admit that everything was made up? Especially right after doing an interview. 
So people thought that Patrick and this other account came up with this plot together. I mean, think about it. Both of them have been talked about for the last 72 hours straight nonstop. Their names have both been mentioned in huge publications like Page Six and Radar Online. This account, despite me being the one who got his exclusive interview where he made some really egregious claims against Rinna, is the one that's getting all of the press and being lauded as the one who uncovered the latest scandal to hit the Bravoverse. And I'll give credit where credit's due. Yeah, she got him to admit it was all a lie. So props, props to you. But I'm just wondering how and why. And I'll say this. Am I jealous that her account got all the press and broke the exclusive and that my podcast is kind of just flying under the radar with a lot of these bigger sites? Yeah, absolutely. I am not too proud to admit that I want the views, I want the clicks, I want the podcast plays. So there's a very good chance that my jealousy was swaying me to believe this theory, and it's likely not true at all. Your moms are watching probably just got the exclusive. I, I did actually have an account comment to me being like, this is what you guys get for not vetting someone and just trying to get streams. <laughs> and it's like, okay, obviously I want streams. That's why people do podcasts. So other people will listen to them. <laughs> and like, re the vetting situation. How do you vet someone like that? Also, like, okay, so my podcast is not claiming to be hard-hitting professional journalism. I literally make fun of reality TV stars and interview my friends who have cool jobs. Plus, I literally did Google the guy, um, and nothing came up, which is why my very first question in my interview with him was like, who the hell are you? <laughs> and I remember at one point during the interview, he said, people think I dropped out of the sky, but it's like, no, you can Google me. And I literally remember thinking to myself in that moment, wait, I Googled you and there was nothing. But like, what are you supposed to say to someone in the middle of the interview, you know? Anyways, at the end of the day, I don't think your moms are watching was in on it, because why would Patrick admit all of this stuff to this account and then later go and deny it and say those DMs were doctored if she was in on it? He honestly just seems like he's screwing everyone. And this guy was a damn good liar. I was completely fooled, you guys. He looked me dead in my eyes via Zoom and lied to me for over 20 minutes straight. I got played. You got played. But someone told me that if there's one thing I can take away from all of this mess, it's that I will forever be a small part of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills history. And that's something that Patrick can never take away from me. Alright, now on to last week's episode of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. At the end of the previous episode, Crystal has explained to the ladies that she feels like her feelings are irrelevant to them. Basically, she was trying to express that Sutton can feel any way that she wants. You know, people can feel how they feel, and we need to stop policing each other's feelings. It's one thing to disagree and tell someone, I don't see it that way, but it's another thing to tell people how they should feel and what they should say. So Crystal explains all of this, to which Dorit replies, Are you out of your effing mind? So Crystal's not too far off, huh? So at the top of this episode, Garcelle invites Crystal back over the next morning to talk to the girls and hopefully hash it all out. Before Crystal arrives, but after the delivery Bloody Marys have, the ladies start talking about being in La Quinta a year ago, and Erica reflects on how far she's come. Um, not far at all. And she apologizes for being a wild animal last year, but not for being one this year. We're gonna have to wait until next season for that apology. Erica says that she was basically backed into a corner last year, and she was shown no sympathy. And it's not clear whether she means by the other ladies or the general public, but as it pertains to both, Garcelle says Erica wasn't shown any sympathy because she didn't show any for the victims. 
That's why the ladies took issue with Erica, and that's why the fans took issue with Erica, and we still do. So Erica says she was compassionate towards the alleged victims, but she couldn't say, I hope it didn't happen, or show any true sadness for what went down because of her lawyers, and the fact that she really can't say anything about the open case. But then she immediately says that she thinks the victims are liars. <laughs> she says, we don't even know that they weren't paid, implying that some of the victims alleging that they were defrauded actually were paid their restitutions and now themselves are trying to defraud Tom and Erica? Okay, one, so you can't outwardly express empathy or say that you hope these allegations aren't true for the victims' sakes, but you can say that you think the victims are liars. Got it. And two, is there no paper trail? Were these could-be-lying quote-unquote victims paid a million dollars each in cold hard cash? This is so dumb. I, I really hope her attorneys weren't watching this episode. So Erica complains that the bad story stuck because people only want her to fail. Then she says, I don't care if people like me. <laughs> okay, that's why the bad stories stick, Erica, because you don't care enough about anyone or anything for there to be any good stories. Also, you're whining about how people only see the bad in you, but then you wrap it up by saying you don't care what people think of you. Someone needs to tell this woman to stop talking. She's a much better performer when she's lip syncing. So Crystal arrives to talk to the ladies while Sutton and Diana have brunch, which is funny because didn't Diana call Sutton weird in the last episode? I don't know. And, and there's a brunch buffet set up for like 10 people, despite it only being the two of them. <laughs> so Diana and Sutton talk about the arguing, and Diana says that she can deal with confrontation because she's a Leo, which at this point we know she's really a Virgo, but honestly, saying you're a Leo even though you're not a Leo and not letting anyone tell you that you're not a Leo is actually a pretty Leo thing to do, so... Back at Kyle's, Crystal explains that she felt like her feelings and her words were policed last year. The focus shifted from her feelings about what happened to the word that she used to describe her feelings, and that completely misses the point. She says that she doesn't feel like this group provides a safe space, which Dorit immediately makes about her robbery. She says what Crystal is experiencing is a vacation compared to her robbery. Uh, yeah, Dorit, you guys are literally on vacation. No one is comparing Crystal's Palm Springs vacay to your robbery except for you. Um, Kyle's dog Bambi keeps eating off of everyone's plates. At least I think it's Bambi. That's honestly the only one of her dog's names that I can remember, so we're gonna go with it. And I just have to say, there's been a lot of Bambi hate online. Um, a lot of people saying that Kyle's dogs are untrained monsters, and if they were a guest at her desert house and those dogs were eating off of their plates, they would be disgusted. So, for the record, I would let Bambi eat food straight off of my plate, straight out of my hand. Heck, I'd let her do some body shots of gravy off my belly. Let the dogs live, people. Anyways, <laughs> Kyle says she's a fixer. Garcelle says she's a stirrer. What do you guys think? I, I personally think Kyle is a producer, which could go both ways. She's definitely stirring the pot, but I do think that she has good intentions for the show. Maybe not for the people on the show, but for the show's success overall and for us as the viewers. So for that, I say keep a fixin' and a stirrin'. Okay, so Garcelle brings up the convo with Sutton and Crystal from last year, and she says that she thinks Crystal set Sutton up. Okay, this is where G lost me. Did she even watch that scene? Like, there's no way Crystal could have predicted Sutton would say what she said, nor do I think Crystal would have ever tried to put that onto someone. Crystal defends herself, saying that there was a lot more that was said that led to Crystal making that comment about Sutton being that girl, and that it was dark. So now, of course, the focus shifts to, ooh, what is Crystal saying that Sutton said? What was so dark? 
And all Crystal's trying to do is explain that her comment about Sutton being that girl didn't come out of nowhere, but because Crystal won't tell the ladies exactly what was said, now they're all filling in the blanks and they're saying that Crystal shouldn't have brought it up at all if she wasn't going to give the exact example. Garcelle tells the girls that her son Oliver just got a great job working for the one and only LVP, to which the rest of the ladies have a hernia. Um, it's honestly sad, but also impressive that LVP still gets them all so worked up. I truly think that bringing her back would be the smartest thing Bravo ever did. Like, I think if you could get LVP and Denise back, as long as they promised to show up and perform, OMG, it would be explosive. Like, I don't even care if we knew that there were full-fledged alliances. I mean, imagine LVP, Denise, Crystal, Sutton, Garcelle versus the faux Fox 4 or whatever. Like, I would pay-per-view that shit so fast. So PK tells Dorit she should go to Mexico with the girls, and then they argue over what he's allowed to watch on TV while she's gone. So relatable. Um, Matt always has me put on a show or a movie for us, and then he falls asleep within five minutes, but then he like gets mad that I'll continue watching it without him while he's asleep. And so uh, arguing over the TV schedule is something that happens regularly in our household. Sutton is hosting her event at her store, and Diana says she's never been to a store, not as relatable. <laughs> Erica declines Sutton's party invitation because she has a date with her vibrator, which is TMI, classic Erica. Um, and then she says that she's so happy she doesn't have to get all glammed up and ready for an event. But she says this while sitting in full glam with her team of stylists. <laughs> the event starts and Dorit is upset that there's press there. Okay, A of all, you were just at Kyle's store opening talking to Theodore Mellencamp for Entertainment Tonight, so what? Uh, B of all, this is a party at a store with a bunch of, you know, B-list celebrities. Like, of course there's going to be press there. And C of all, there are literally cameras following you into this event for the TV show you're starring on. This storyline is dumber than Lucy Lucy Applejuicy. Inside the event, Garcelle tells Sutton that Crystal was talking about her and to watch her back with her new friend. G is also playing producer. <laughs> Sutton says she doesn't want to go backwards, and she's very chill about it all. She keeps saying, let's move it forward. Um, and Kyle raises a good question. Is she afraid of what Crystal might reveal? So Kyle pushes to get Crystal to say what Sutton said. Um, Garcelle says dark is a very dangerous word. You know, these girls are once again acting like the word police, and it's really annoying. You know, they care more about the words used to describe feelings than they do for the feelings in question. Who cares what words are used, you know? First, address what your friend is trying to tell you. Then you can address how they told you if you need to. So Crystal tries to tell the ladies that Garcelle accused her of setting up Sutton, and she had to explain that she was just responding to something that she felt was very dark and inappropriate. You know, it certainly didn't come out of nowhere. Crystal didn't make Sutton say those things. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Next week, things seem to take a turn, and Sutton and Crystal end up going at it. But ultimately, we know that Sutton, Crystal, and Garcelle all team back up and have joined forces to save this show. <laughs> Erica will likely continue to make us uncomfortable, Dorit will keep finding reasons to make everything about her robbery, and I'm sure Kyle's gonna do the split soon. I mean, it's already been like four episodes. One of the best things about growing up in Arizona is that there's incredible Mexican food on every street corner. And you know what goes best with good Mexican food? Traditional Mexican horchata. 
don't know what horchata is? It's creamy, delicious rice milk flavored with cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Okay, you thirsty now? Me too. Luckily, even if you're far from the southern border, you can get your horchata fix every day with cinnamon. Cinnamon is a brand created by my good friend Tyler, who is even more obsessed with horchata and all things cinnamon than I am. He's developed all natural skincare products and more, crafted in California with ethically sourced ingredients and infused with real cinnamon. Have you heard of the antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, or antioxidant properties of cinnamon when applied to the skin? Or how about how it helps treat acne? What about how cinnamon promotes blood flow, helping with skin elasticity by bringing blood flow to the surface of the skin and helping to moisturize skin with all of that added circulation? Some of my personal favorite products from Cinnamon are their signature lip balm that gives your lips a sweet tingle and a subtle natural plump, their all-natural deodorant developed for sensitive skin, and the Coco Chata body beverage that leaves your body hydrated and smelling like heaven. They even have candles and air fresheners to keep your entire home, car, or office smelling like your favorite dessert. With Cinnamon, you'll enjoy all the benefits Cinnamon has to offer your skin and your senses. Visit cinnamon.com, that's S-I-N-M-I-N.com, and use code Blake at checkout for 15% off your total order today and receive free shipping on all orders over $50. That's code Blake for 15% off your order at cinnamon.com. I may have a black heart, but I can be sweet sometimes, and Cinnamon definitely helps. Okay, guys, I am here with singer-songwriter, a.k.a. Hit maker extraordinaire, the one and only Miss Bonnie McKee. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my God, thank you so much for being here. I have been looking forward to this for weeks. Um, <laughs> you are one of my my biggest songwriting idols. I'm a singer songwriter first and foremost. I work in the music industry as my day job, and you are are just one of the greats. Um, thank it, you. You've been busting out hits for over a decade now, and when I say hits, I mean hits. Uh, if any of my <laughs> listeners aren't familiar with, with you or your name, they certainly are familiar with your work. You have uh, written your own hits like American Girl and Bombastic, and then you've co-written on songs like California Girls, Teenage Dream, Last Friday Night, um, Wide Awake, uh, all of those with Katy Perry. Uh, you co-wrote on Dynamite with Tyle Cruz, uh, Hold It Against Me by Britney Spears. I mean, these are just epic song. So what is it like knowing? Yeah, of course. What is it like knowing that millions of people all over the world know your music and sing along to the words that you have written? It's an honor. Um, it's a dream come true, honestly. Um, and it's fun to like be out in public and hear one of my songs come on and, uh, and no one has any idea. And I'm just, I see everybody singing along and I'm just like, yeah, I, I co-wrote that. Do you tell <laughs> you know? people or do you like tap someone on the shoulder and you go, Hey, uh, I, uh, I wrote that line. Sometimes like if someone's really enjoying it or something sometimes, but usually I just like to feel like I have like a, like a secret identity and like, I'm just, you know, a spy, like watching the people. Totally. <laughs> Has anyone ever not believed you? Like you've been like, Oh yeah. California girls. I wrote that. And they're like, yeah, shut the fuck up. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, thank God for Google, right? I'm like, right? Google me, okay? <laughs> I love that, I love that. So of course, no one just, you know, writes a hit right out the gate. So how did you get into songwriting? Is it something that you've always been doing? I started writing songs when I was a little kid and then um, I wanted to be a singer, uh, but I didn't, I was so shy. I didn't want to share my songs with anybody. 
So um, I made a demo of cover songs when I was like 12 or 13. And my mom knew one person in the music industry and she gave him my demo of covers. And he was like, that's great kid, you can sing, but can you write? And so I took that as a challenge and I went home and I decided to really start honing my craft and writing songs. And um, I got a record deal when I was 16. I started out as an artist. That was really like what I wanted to be doing. Um, put out an album on Warner Brothers that totally flopped. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a rite of passage, you know. Yeah, I feel like that and happens then... to a lot of the a lot of the greats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought that my life was over, and then I realized that like so many iconic stars have had record deals and lost them. Lady Gaga, yeah. Pink, Bruno Mars. You know, it's kind of a, a rite of passage. Like yeah, even even your girl Katy Perry. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, yeah. So then I was just like broke and didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't have any skills because I, I didn't finish high school. I didn't know how to keep a day job. I knew that I had some kind of talent in music and I was like, what am I going to do with this? So I was just singing demos for, you know, a couple hundred bucks here and there and barely scraping by. And then um, I got a publishing deal and I signed with a little boutique company called Pulse. And um, and then I, I had been friends with Katy Perry um, since I was like, I don't know, 18 probably. And uh, she ended up blowing up and then she brought me in on the second album on Teenage Dream. So that was kind of my big break. Wow. So do you remember like what the first song you wrote was when you were a kid? Yeah, um, I think I started out kind of writing uh, like my own lyrics to songs that I liked on the radio, you know? Okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they're just so embarrassing little ditties, you know? Yeah. I bet you, I bet you have some notebooks somewhere. I mean, I've seen, I've seen all the notebooks you post on Instagram. So somewhere there's gotta be like a a 12 year old, uh, Bonnie McKee lyric. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I've always been a big journaler. Um, and I literally have a closet full of notebooks, um, and I'm so glad that I kept them. I was like, one day I'm going to need these. And now I've been, you know, making TikTok videos with them and showing all the alternative lyrics um, and people are loving it. So I'm glad I held on to those. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. And I want to talk about those videos because I I crack up watching those. As anyone uh, who's ever been in like a writing session knows, there's a lot of like word vomit that comes out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so it's great. It's great. Um, now explain to my listeners, you mentioned that you got a pub deal. Can you explain what a, a publishing deal is to anyone who might not know? Yeah. A publisher is kind of like an agent for songwriters. Um, publishers hook up songwriters with artists, with um, labels, with other publishers that can kind of uh, put them together with producers and other top liners um, or songwriters as, you know, layman's terms. <laughs> and um, yeah, they sort of curate the room so that we can write songs and then they help pitch them to the artists and the labels. Um, so there's sort of the liaisons between, you know, the creative process and then it actually you know, being, making it on the radio or making it to the label or whatever it is. Yeah. So getting a pub deal as a songwriter is huge. It's, it's kind of the equivalent of getting like a record deal if you're a a performing artist. So that must've been super exciting for you at the time. Definitely. And, you know, they helped me so much and they really like plugged me in and I learned so much about co-writing because when I made my first album, I wrote everything myself. So I really, it was a process kind of learning how to co-write and learning how to collaborate Um, It's definitely like an ego death (laughs) where you have to just let go and and accept that someone else might know better than you, someone that has more experience, you know, and then once I embrace that I just love collaborating. 
And, you know, sometimes I have to kill my darlings, so to speak, in the studio where I'll have an idea and then I'll be really attached to it. And then someone will come in with a better idea and I have to be like, do what's best for the song. You know, yeah. it's not about ego. It's about what's best for the art. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think historically, uh, music listeners have always felt like if you are not a a songwriter who is who is single-handedly penning all of your works and you know in the room by yourself creating this then you're not a true artist and i actually got in an argument with someone not too long ago over that sentiment and uh, they mentioned how uh, Ariana Grande, for example, had a ton of co-writers on her songs. And I was like, well, that doesn't mean that she's not participating in the session at all. So tell me, why is it so important to collaborate and why, why is it even better to collaborate than sometimes to write by yourself? It takes a village to write a pop song. And, um, you know, when you're in the room with the, the Max Martins of the world, um, they have a lot more experience. Um, they are hit machines. And it's important to take the experience of other successful collaborators and take that and run and learn from it. You know, I was so excited to, to work with Max and I, I learned so much. Um, I remember getting in arguments with him when I first started writing with him and I was little <laughs> and, uh, and I would write a melody and he'd be like, that's wrong. And I'd be like, there's no wrong in art. Like, you can't tell me that it's wrong. And the more I, came to understand the sort of Swedish math of it all, the Swedish pop philosophy, the more I was like, oh yeah, it was wrong. It was wrong because the human brain likes symmetry. And um, especially in pop music, you want it to be, to feel familiar where by the second time you hear the chorus, you're already able to sing along. And when something is too complicated or something is kind of angular or lopsided, it's hard to follow and people kind of tune out. And especially these days, people's attention spans are so short that I think it's really important to get your melody really tight and tidy. And there's nothing I love more than like a perfectly symmetrical <laughs> pop song. And then once you know the rules, then you can break them, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the importance of, of collaboration. Sorry, I went on a tangent. No, that's it's great. I love it. I just like, I know that I... When I, when I do my own stuff, I often will still write alone um, just to, to get things started. And then I find myself sort of repeating myself. I'll repeat the same kind of melodies or I'll repeat the same. And I'll just be like, you know, what? I'm like kind of in a rut. And so I'll phone a friend and having someone step in the room and listen with fresh ears. They they usually can see right away what's broken about it, what's wrong with it. And um, it's just really nice to have help. Like if you need help, phone a friend. It's like yeah. there's no shame in that. And also when it comes to people like Ariana Grande and stuff, like these are massive productions. Like oftentimes there'll be more than one producer. So when you see a lot of names, like producers are also getting publishing and they're getting writing credit. So you'll see, you know, sometimes there'll be, maybe the original track was made by a duo, like a production duo. And then that'll get handed over to a bigger producer and then he'll reproduce it. And there'll be someone that adds a little sparkle at the end. Like it's, it takes a long time to make these big, radio pop songs. So that's one half of the team is you're going to have producers and there's going to be a whole team of them. And then for top line stuff, oftentimes you'll have the artist. And then I like to have two top liners because in top line, for those of you who don't know, and this is, I think, kind of a more modern term that people don't traditionally know, is, is basically the song part, <laughs> the melody <laughs> yeah. and the lyrics. Yeah, that's um, what we all sing so, along too. 
Yes. And so um, I love to have another person to ping pong lyrics with, to ping pong melodies with, because again, I can like get in the same sort of rhythm where I start repeating myself um, and then having the artists there to sort of give us, you know, they're, they want us to translate what they're trying to um, express. And some, some artists are full on songwriters, like Katy Perry is an incredible songwriter in her own right. She can sit down and write a song start to finish and it's great, you know. Um, but she's smart and she brings in co-writers to help, to, yeah. to elevate, to, you know, get out of her own head. Um, so, you know, and then there's other artists that sort of just like have a vibe where it's like, I want something that's kind of says this. And then you sort of translate that and spin something, uh, make something tangible for them. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky that a lot of the artists that I work with are incredible songwriters. So um, it's a really fun experience to write with an artist that can also really hold their own in the writing room. Yeah. Well, and that's how you end up with like, you know, 10 number ones off of one record. So <laughs> there you go. And, you know, to your point, uh, everyone comes into the writing room with a different set of skills. And, you mm -hmm. know, I know for me in particular, when I go into a writing room, I'm a, I'm a lyrics guy and I'm a storyteller, mm -hmm. but like melodies for me are so, so like out of my wheelhouse. I, um, I actually interviewed a, a songwriter a couple of weeks ago, um, Haley Chapman. And I was explaining to her, like, yeah, I end up just like plagiarizing every melody. And I like think that it's, <laughs> I think it's original. And then I'll be driving home from the session and I turn on the radio and I'm like, oh no, that's already a top 10 hit. So yes. you need, you need people that bring different things. Like I need the melody people. So then, then I can tell the story on top of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I started out as primarily a lyricist and then just the longer I did it and the more people that I worked with, and I would, I would watch how they would get around roadblocks when you're stuck, the more I learned about melody and rhythm. And also like when you run into something where it's like, oh, oh God, this feels so good. This melody is so great. And it's like, oh, it already exists. It's right. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. But there's a, there's ways around it, you know, where you can, you can move it over a beat or you can take a couple syllables out or you can change one note and then it becomes its own thing. Totally. Um, so, and also like, there's nothing wrong with having a familiar melody. In fact, I think that's good. And I think that, you know, something that I notice a lot with um, kind of, newbie songwriters they'll send me stuff and a lot of people think that they have to write the most original thing that's never been done before and it doesn't connect because there's not a familiarity to it like there are certain things that we expect in a song and a pop song um and if you don't hit those kind of markers then it can sort of fall flat it's the same thing with like when you're the difference between a good movie and a bad movie there's a story arc there are certain emotional points that you want to hit and certain familiar formulas that we want to see in a rom-com or an action or whatever. Like there are just things that we expect in certain genres. Um, and so I think familiarizing yourself with that and kind of doing something that feels familiar and, and giving it a twist is really kind of the key. Yeah. And those patterns form because, um, because people can relate to you know, whatever is being presented to them, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. lyrics and, and the theme, um, you know, th there's a reason why it's that story is being told over and over and over again, you know? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And as far as lyrics, like there are only so many words in <laughs> English language that yeah. sing well, right. that sing yes. well, that are phonetically pleasing, that people can understand when you sing it, Yeah. you know, like, I don't know, like a common word that's, that's hard to do is like mirror, 
Mm-hmm. Like when you say mirror, like mirror is a, is a great image and it's like a tough one to sometimes to fit in because it's hard to sing like me, yeah. like how do you, <laughs> how do you do it? You know? Right. Um, and so like the more you kind of play with these familiar words, the more you realize like which ones really work. And yeah. then you try to throw in something interesting that you haven't heard before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's a delicate dance because you want it to be, uh, visceral and you want the listeners to be able to see the image that you're painting for them. But at the same time, you don't want it to be like word salad and jumbled up. I mean, I don't know how like Mariah Carey, for example, puts some of the words into her songs that she does. And I'm just like, you busted out the thesaurus and found like the most syllable heavy word to fit in right there, but not all songwriters can do that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I love finding a big word or an unusual word and making it work, but I I think that the key to doing that is making sure that it's surrounded by easily digestible words. Yeah. So like if you want to throw in a big weird word, then A, you better like rhyme it tight. Yeah. <laughs> Have a tight rhyme. Right. And also like surround it with what I like to call HQ filler, which is like high quality filler, where it's yeah. like the familiar stuff we all know and love in pop music. And then you throw a curveball, you know, totally. And yeah. then you can kind of justify that because it's like the rest of it's easy to remember. And then it's like, Ooh, here's something weird for you. Right. Right. And another <laughs> pro tip is make sure to pronounce the word correctly. I actually learned yes. that from you. Femme, <laughs> femme fatale. <laughs> that was oh my a, God. a great story on your Instagram of uh, how the title track from Britney Spears's Femme Fatale album didn't make the cut because you mispronounced the word on the demo. Yeah. Well, it was like, <laughs> it was a last minute thing. And we had this amazing track that, that everybody loved at the label and everyone was like, okay, this is going to be the first single. And I was like, okay, great. And I knew that they were calling the album Femme Fatale. So I was like, well, pff, you need a title track, right? Perfect. So I uh, wrote this little ditty, but it was like, I remember it was, I was working on it with my, my ex-boyfriend at the time, who was my writing partner. And it was on the deadline was like the day after Valentine's day. And we had like booked a hotel and had this whole thing. And we were just like, Nope, Brittany comes first. And so we spent, we, I mean, like 18 hours, we were at the studio all night long. And then we finally just like went to the Beverly Hills hotel for our room at like six in the morning. Like, what is even the point of this? But it was like a really, really last minute deadline thing. Um, and so I, I didn't get a chance to sort of like proofread myself and be like, wait, is that even how you pronounce that? Like, I don't is that know. a word? Yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, it, it didn't make the cut, but yeah. um, I'm sure that it doesn't only have to do with the pronunciation. I'm sure that it just, like, <laughs> didn't, didn't fit the rest of the album, but I like to think that it was you know, just because I pronounced it wrong and blame right. everybody. Well, you did still it. end up with a cut on that album, uh, Hold It Against Me, which is uh, yeah, I actually a great have a bunch of cuts. I have a bunch of cuts on that one. I did um, Hold It Against Me. I did uh, Gasoline, Seal It With a Kiss, uh, How I Roll. Um, and I think there were two other ones. So good. I, I love that album. I remember that was like, in like right at the start of like the dubstep wave. And I remember like when, when Britney dipped her toe into that pool, I was like, okay, I can get into it now. (laughs) Yeah. I remember. Yeah. We did the, the dubstep breakdown in the bridge of hold it against me. And it was like very of the moment. It was like, I think she was the first kind of pop star to dip into that. Like she was. And then, and then now when I listen back to it, I'm like, oh, like, it's just like, (laughs) 
Such a moment yeah. in time. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But. Just like <laughs> sounds like a, a clip from Transformers 3 or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Totally>, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, have you uh, had the fortune of meeting the legendary Miss Britney Spears? I did meet her briefly, very briefly. Um, the whole time that she was in the studio, you know, that was a weird time yeah. for her. Yeah. 2000, um, what was that like 2010, 2011? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. I felt like she probably didn't want to be there, understandably. Yeah. She was just coming out of a really difficult time. And then they're like, yeah, like whoosh, you know, get to work. Um, work, bitch. Yeah, I get to work, bitch. And <laughs> so I when I was in the studio, when she would come in to do vocals, they would be like, You need to leave. Like you need to go hide, hide all your stuff. Like they didn't want, and I, I thought, because some artists, some female artists don't like to have other girls around. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, I just wanted to be comfortable. I don't want to be some weird, whatever. And, uh, and now that I know everything, I was like, oh, she, they didn't want her to like make any friends. Yeah. Yeah. You it's re really, really sad. Um, I have to imagine though, that maybe not the only artist that you've seen who's restricted, maybe not to that extent, but um, especially female artists. I feel like there's there's been a lot of that. And as someone who gets to kind of come in and out and work with a bunch of different celebrities, you, you probably see your fair share of that, huh? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think that, you know, since Me Too happened and all that, that like things have gotten better but yeah there have been some really heartbreaking situations that I've seen over the years um where I'm just like this is like torture like I, I can't believe how much they're controlling this person I don't want to name any names but yeah, yeah. I remember like be, you know having moments alone with an artist and being like blink twice if you need help <laughs> you know what I mean being like yeah you know yeah totally and just hearing the conversations that the managers and labels would have behind their back and just where they're just telling them one thing and telling me another, like where I'm on the, on the bad guy's side where they're like, so you're in, like, here's what we're going to tell her, but here's what's actually happening. And I'm just like, why? Like, why? yeah, I would it's, like, yeah, like write a subliminal message into the lyrics or something and be <laughs> yeah. like, here, just take this into the booth, you know, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. so, so unfortunate. And it is, uh, you know, one of the darker sides of the music industry, um, Thankfully for Britney, she's free now. So that's been awesome yes. to see. Yes. Um, yeah. And I'm excited to see what she does with her career next. So maybe on uh, B10, we will we will get some Bonnie McKee tracks on there. Yeah. Yeah. Crossing my fingers. Well, love it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so now speaking of celebrities that you've worked with, um, who is the nicest celebrity that you've ever had the opportunity to work with? Oh my gosh. There are so many lovely people. I, you know, I really loved working with, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> she is just such a little doll. Yeah. She's like, she's the sweetest, most innocent, but also like razor sharp knows what she's talking about boss lady. Um, but she's just really, really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> really well, she's Canadian. Sweet. So that makes sense. Yeah, there you, you know? go. There you go. <laughs> and, um, I also loved working with Adam Lambert. He oh, just yeah. always had me in stitches. He's just so funny. Oh my God. Like he could be a stand-up comedian. He's so hilarious. Um, and let's see who else. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love most of the artists that I worked with. I've really loved. There've been a few along the way where I'm like, Ugh. I was just going to ask, have there been any that you have left a writing session with and you're like, I will never write with them again. 
Definitely. Yeah. Can, can you name any names? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I talked about this before already, so I guess I can talk about this, but I, I had a bad experience with, um, with Chris Brown. Oh, that's and, not surprising. Yeah. Although it was weird because he was, he was always really nice to me. He was very polite and sweet. And then it was, it was just like the environment that I was in. It was just like, not, uh, not the right session for me. Like I shouldn't have been there. Like I got it. That wasn't, that's not my genre. That's not my specialty, but it was more like the, his team, like the people that were hanging around that were just like clowning me so hard and just like, like every idea I threw out. Cause it's a vulnerable place to be when you're in the studio. Like I always say like permission to suck. Everyone is allowed to throw out bad ideas because that's how you get to the good stuff. And just everything that I said, I was just getting destroyed. And I was like, this is terrible. And it wasn't necessarily Chris, but it wasn't pleasant. Right. Well, and and his team is a representation of him, you know, and, and like you said, it is such a vulnerable place. You're, you know, trying to, to like lay out as many ideas on the table as possible. Um, and even when they are shitty ideas, which happens, there's still Mm -hmm. a level of like respect, you know, you don't want to tell someone, Hey, all of your ideas are shitty. You just say, that's not the, the idea we're going for right now, you know? Yeah. Or I'll just be when I have a shitty idea, I'm just like, not this, but kind of like this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where it's like, here's the dumbest, stupidest version of it. Like, what do you think? And then just even the rhyme scheme of a bad idea can like inspire someone else to be like, oh, not that, but this rhymes with that. And what about this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really like uh, putting, putting a puzzle together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that brings me into my next topic. I want to get back into the writer's room with you. We're in a session. Um, What is like a a theme or a topic that just comes up so often and you're just going to be like, I'm sorry, I don't want to write about that. We're not going to do it. You know, being a songwriter, you're kind of in the service industry. Like you are there to serve a client and so if an artist wants to talk about something, then I do my best to help them say what they want to say. Um, and so really, I, I, try, I really say that there's, there's not a lot that's taboo for me. Okay. Has but, there um, ever been like a subject where, you know, whether it's an artist or management or the label is like, we want a song about X, Y, or Z, or they come in and they're like, this is like the, the title idea that we're going for. And you're just like, oh my God, that's so stupid. I've, I've definitely had people bring in concepts that I'm like, I don't know how to spin this. Like I, I I'll try and I will <laughs> always try. And that's the thing. I like a challenge where I'm just like, okay, this, I don't know. Like you give me this title and I'm like, I don't know how to spin this at all. I don't know what the story is behind this or whatever, right. but it, it's kind of a challenge. And so I'll try to spin anything into gold, you know, because sometimes it's like, okay, like this is a concept we want for sure. And you start trying to write that. And then it's like, you stumble upon something better and it's like, but what about, so I, I really, I never say no for the most part. I'm just like, let's try it. You know, great way to live. Try anything. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite song you've ever written? May, it doesn't have to be like the best, but just for you personally, you know, it resonates. Um, I think my favorite song that I've co-written is, uh, is Teenage Dream. I think Teenage Dream is kind of like the crown jewel of my repertoire. Um, I also love Roar. I mean, Roar is, they, they both the reactions that I get from people about those two songs are so strong. And, you know, Teenage Dream kind of everyone from, you know, your nephew to your grandma, to your 
motorcycle riding uncle all appreciate that song. Um, I think that Katie and I really captured that kind of uh, nostalgic teenage first time falling in love thing. Um, and it felt really satisfying to me too. I was like, that's exactly how I wanted it to be, you know? And then Roar, you know, seeing all these inspirational stories online and, and talking to fans and stuff about how it's like, oh, you know, Roar helped me get out of an abusive relationship or Roar helped me when my son was in the hospital or whatever it like, you know, empowering songs like that really send like a, a, a ripple through, <laughs> through culture. Yeah. And that makes me feel like I've done something that matters, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. Like I said at the top of the interview, e even people who who might not recognize your name, you have impacted their life in in more than one way because you have written dozens and dozens of hits. Like <laughs> you're all over the place, Bonnie. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, so now on the flip side of that, are there any songs that you've written that have hit it really big and you're just like, "Well, that's a surprise because I did not think that that was a good song." <laughs> Um, you know, I was, I was surprised that dynamite got as big as it was and it really like grew out of me. Like, I think I was quoted like early on when it first came out as being like, this is the dumbest song I've ever written, but the song is secretly about, um, surrender. Everyone thinks it's a party song and it's really about at the time I was struggling to get sober. <laughs> Oh, wow. So even though it's like the drinking song that everybody like throws their hands up in the air and everyone's yeah. like, why do you throw your hands up in the air only sometimes? <laughs> and I'm like, because it's supposed to be like, sometimes you just throw your hands up in the air. It's not like only, only on Fridays, you know? Right. And, right. Uh, if the party's yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was really about, um, surrendering and, uh, and I honestly believe because like it would have been just a great party song either way. And I'm sure it still would have been a smash if I hadn't been a part of it. But um, I do think that there's something about like having a little sliver of like depth in a party song that can go a long way. Yeah. Because with that melody, da -da 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 like it has like kind of a, a, a melancholy undertone, like a bittersweetness to it that I think combined with those lyrics connects with people. And like, you feel kind of emotional. Like there's some party songs where you're just like, yeah. And then when you hear that one, when it breaks down, you're just like, <sighs> like there's something yeah. about it where people got the message without realizing that that's what it was about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's so interesting how songs can take on a life of their own. Like what you were mm -hmm. thinking in the studio or in the writing session, you know, is completely different than what the, the average listener is going to think when they hear the song. Um, yeah. But, but how cool is that, that like music translates in that way and it takes on a life of its own? Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's very satisfying. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful to have been a part of these great songs and being a part of a great team. You know, I certainly did not write any of these hits by myself. Um, like I said, it takes a village to write a pop song. Yeah. And I was just so lucky to be in the right place at the right time and have the right sort of chemistry with the people I was in the room with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to be a songwriter. That was not my dream. I wanted to be an artist. And so there was a struggle in the beginning of like figuring out how to make peace with like giving my mojo away to other people, you know, um, but it really kind of came from a place of survival because yeah. I just didn't have a choice. Um, but really still, like I, 
I'm an artist, like whether I like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm still continuing to put out music and, and do, I love to perform. Like I love, and I love to sing and I love to make music videos and I'm like a very visual artist. So that's, that's been one of the frustrating things about being behind the scenes is that I don't have any say on the visuals. And like, when right. I write a song, like I see the video, I see the artwork, like I have a vision, you know? And then sometimes, you know, a song will come out and I'm just like, what the hell was that video? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> Not what I would have done, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, so I continue to do my own stuff so that I can have creative control and I can, I can participate in the visual side of the art. Yeah. And you've had success with, you know, your uh, solo projects. Um, I actually, I mean, not you, you probably don't remember, but we've met before. I came and saw you perform at um, the library bar, like years and years and years ago, like, like probably in like 2015 or something. Uh I have a really, uh I have a really cute photo of us together. Um, But your, your like American girl era, like I was living in LA at the time. I have a video on my Instagram of me and and one of my dogs like sticking our heads out of the car window, driving down <laughs> sunset, blasting that song. Like yes. it it was incredible. And and again, the the visuals, and then same with the bombastic EP. Love it. And Thank I know you. with that song in particular, you got um you got some sync cuts, which is a big oh, deal. Yeah. I remember hearing that song on TV a lot. So you've mm-hmm. definitely had success as uh, an artist um, and, and a recording artist as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's funny. Like if I were just random any indie artist that put out these songs and had that kind of success, everyone would be like, holy shit. But because I've had this global success as a songwriter, it's like, I'm always going to be in the shadow of that. Like, I'm always going to be compared to that where it's like, oh yeah, like American girl reached like top 20, but like, it wasn't number one. Right. And like, you've had all these other number ones. So like that one, that's not be as good. And it's like, well, yeah, I didn't have like millions and millions of dollars in a marketing campaign behind me, right? you know? Yeah. Um, or like a feature by like, Snoop Dogg or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the, there's always going to be that kind of like, underdog feeling of just like okay well I'm just like a little indie artist that could yeah (laughs) but I mean also for me I have to stay out of the results like it's not really about how successful it is or if it's number one of course I want that but it's really about enjoying the process and like I love being an artist and I love creating music videos and writing my own stories and singing and that's really what brings me joy so as long as I'm enjoying myself then like I don't really care if it's the biggest hit in the world you know yeah and a lot of times uh our our dreams are fulfilled in ways that surprise us i'm sorry i'm gonna Mm -hmm. go all philosopher on you right now Um, not that i have any credentials to do so but you know we we have these dreams and these ideas of what we envision for our lives and what our you know vision of version of success is and sometimes the world surprises us so you you know probably grew up wanting to have hit songs on the radio, it might not mm-hmm. look the way you thought it would then, but you you have those hit songs and you are a part of history. You're a part of the pop culture zeitgeist forever. That's that's more than <laughs> that's more than most recording artists can say. So it might not look how you thought it was going to when you were like 12, but from where I'm standing or sitting, it looks pretty mm-hmm. damn good. Thank you. No, and I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. And it was also cool to be able to make a name for myself um, just with my intellectual property, you know, um, because I feel like, you know, as a woman in the industry, it's kind of like 
you know, people want you to be cute and sing a song and whatever. And I got to sort of build a whole career off of just my ideas. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm really proud of that, you know? Yeah. And a lot of songwriters, a lot of creatives in general, uh, go through their entire careers without that name recognition. Even if they have the success, even if they have the hits on the radio, people don't know their name or their face, but people know who Bonnie McKee is. So it's, it's pretty cool. They They do. I do. I sure do. (laughs) No, they do. I I posted on Twitter that you were coming on the podcast and I got so many people tweeting at me, asking questions and so excited. Um, a lot of the gays obviously were very, very (laughs) excited. Um, which, which is actually fitting. Let's get into that. It's June it's pride month. Um, yeah, happy pride. You have a, a big gay following. Obviously part of that is probably, you know, your work with Katy Perry. And then the other part of that is your solo stuff. Like it is so like, I, I mean, it's not intentionally queer, but like you, you obviously can tell like why the gays are salivating over you in those like hot shorts and your roller skates and stuff. Like it is just so great, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, um, I'm just so delighted that so much of my audience is, is the gay community because it's like, y'all love pop music as much as I do. And I feel like sometimes the rest of them uh, (laughs) don't appreciate (laughs) like a classic bop, you know? And so I've just gotten so much love from the gay community. And and I just, and I often think about that when I'm writing a song, like, is this going to go off at the gay club? Yeah. That's how you know. That's kind of like a barometer, (laughs) you know? Right. Totally. Once, (laughs) once the gays are on board, then you're good to go. It's like the gays and the teenage girls. Yeah. The gays and the gals. Yes. That's, that's what you aim for, for sure. Love it. Love it. All right. So, um, I want to talk about, uh, these, uh, TikToks and Instagram videos that you make and that you put mm-hmm. online with all of your lyrics. The videos are hilarious. When did you decide to start putting these up online and, and why did you decide to do that? Oh my God. I honestly like had kind of had it with Instagram because the algorithm was just like, burying me I was just like putting so much time and energy and like creating all this cool content and like nobody cares like my engagement was like three percent I was like why am I doing this like I am just breaking my back to make this cool stuff that I'm really proud of and like no reaction you know um and so I a couple of friends of mine um Mothika being one of them uh just like blew up on TikTok uh and was able to like I mean, she's just built a whole, a whole world for herself there. And, um, her songs on the radio, she played Lollapalooza. I was like, damn, like TikTok is real. Like I was, I was like very against it for a while where I was like, I'm not a teenager dancing in my bedroom. Like I don't understand this platform. And then once I started going and exploring it, I was like, oh, there's just like all of these communities, like niche communities. Like if you are an expert in anything, if you're like, oh, I know all about insects. Oh, I know all about meditation. I know all about pop music, whatever it is. And even within those genres, like there's, there's little niches and there's an audience for you, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, like, I'm just going to try my hand at this. And, uh, because I ultimately want to be able to release my music through my new music through that, um, because it's free. (laughs) It's just like free publicity and you get like a, a great, you get great feedback from the actual audience. It just like totally bypasses having to deal with a label, having to deal with 
radio, having to deal with, you know, even like the Spotify, like playlist shit, like that's all gatekeeper shit. Right. And TikTok is just like straight to the source. So I started posting on TikTok and all of a sudden my engagement was like 83%. Wow. And in, in a matter of months, I had as many followers as I had had on Instagram for like eight years. And now I have more followers there. So I'm just like, okay, this is where you all went. Cause I was like, <laughs> I know that I, like I have the followers, but like nobody seems to care. And then I went on TikTok and was like, oh, here you are. Found wow. you. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and I really love it. And I've learned so much from TikTok too. Like, I feel like there's, there's so much great educational stuff and just funny stuff and emotional stuff and stuff that makes me think, you know, it's not all just like mindless cat videos. Like there's some really cool art. And also yeah. after editing these videos myself, I'm like, oh, this is hard work. And so I have a newfound appreciation for the creators on TikTok because it's, it's a full-time job to make something that is really like coherent and satisfying and hits all the marks. It's like, it's like a little mini movie, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. I, don't know, I just, I, I preach the gospel of TikTok. Like I'm, I'm a fan. I'm, they converted me. <laughs> I love it. And I love your videos. Um, and you're right. It's, it's a different format than like, you know, the old school days of Instagram where everything was just like image-based and very filtered and like giving you like the social media version of life. And mm -hmm. now we're kind of seeing uh, the the real deal, you know, pulling, pulling away the curtain. And that's what I love mm -hmm. about these videos is it's taking these songs that people, you know, probably just assume just like, you know, fell onto the radio and, and yeah. they don't realize how much time and effort went into it. And we're actually getting to go inside these notebooks and see the pages and pages and pages of like chicken scratch and all yeah. of the <laughs> hilarious lyrics that you guys have come up with. Um, it's so fun as someone who like listens to, to pop music and especially knows these songs inside and out. It's like, Oh, it could have been that. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of the songs had alternative versions that were like good. Yeah. It was like, yeah, this probably could have worked. Yeah. But we just knew that we wanted to dig a little deeper yeah. and what just wasn't it quite could be right. A little better. And and mm -hmm. that's the difference between like an, a number five and a number one, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, that's why it's great to collaborate because like, had I been on my own, I might've thought that that first draft was it, yeah. but because I have people like Katie and people like Benny Blanco and people like circuit and everyone like in the room going, I don't know, I think it can be better. And yeah. you know, Benny Blanco was, was always that guy. Like yeah. we would slave away on something and then be like, okay, here it is. And you'd be like, not there yet. And I'm so great. At the time I was like, fuck you, Benny, God damn it. Right. And then he was right. And I'm just, it's really great to have collaborators that'll push you and that don't just settle, you know? Were there any uh, songs where they went out and, and you felt like you weren't done with the lyrics yet, or there was like a specific line that every time you hear it, you're like, oh, I wish I could go back and tweak that. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm trying to think specifically of a song that I wanted to change. I can't think of anything now, but, but what I thought you were going to ask is, was there ever a song that you felt in your bones was a hit and then it came out and it wasn't? And the answer to that is yes. Yeah. What, what and, song was and, that? And, uh, birthday. Oh, by Katy, Katy Perry's birthday. That song should have been a hit. It should like, I remember I, a writing it being like, yeah. like I had wanted like my whole songwriting career. I was like, one day I'm going to write like a classic birthday song that they play at every, you know, club when it's someone's birthday, whatever. And people can like request it for some, you know, dedicate it, whatever. Yeah. I was like, brilliant. Like no brainer. Totally. There's only a few of those, you know? 
didn't go. I mean, it, it people know it, but like, yeah. I was like, how is this not the hit? I don't understand. It seemed like it had all the elements, but I mean, it, it, it could be less about the song and more just about maybe Katie in particular had already had songs kind of akin to that. Like she had last Friday night, you know, she, so she mm-hmm. had songs that were kind of big anthemic party songs. Um, I, I love birthday though. And I love the Thank video. You. The video is great too. Uh, yeah. just a great song and what a great idea too. I feel like that's really smart, uh, to think about like, okay, how can I just continue to get royalties on this song in perpetuity for the rest of my life? I mean, that's like everyone who puts out a Christmas album, genius, mm-hmm. you know? So smart. Yeah, yeah. So smart. <laughs> uh, okay, so of all of the pop girls that are out right now, who are you into? Who is doing it for you? Um, I think that Olivia Rodrigo is, is incredible. Yeah. And like, I... I don't want to love her as much as I do because it's like, oh, it was so easy. Like, look, it's right. just like, oh, first try. Like, look at you, you're the biggest in the world. So I think we all, like people that have struggled for a long time are just like, God, like, why are you so lucky? Yeah. But she deserves it. And and you know what? Like for a huge hit album, there's really only like two fucking writers. Like her and the producer dude are, are the only people credited on a lot of those songs. Yeah. So I think that that really says something as far as her talent and um, and songwriting capability. So I, you know, I'm watching her. I also, um, I love Japanese Breakfast. Yeah. Um, that's a really cool, their videos are really sick. I love her voice. The songs are really cool. I'm a fan. <laughs> so I have to ask, you were famously raised by a television per your song, American Girl. Uh, so I have to know what TV shows raised you? What uh, what were you watching? Like, where do you fit into the, the zeitgeist? I also feel like we... 80s babies and 90s babies we definitely were the kids that were like babysat by our tv sets um and i feel like the shows we watched at that time are are so defining you know definitely definitely i mean honestly my favorite thing in the world was mtv um like mtv beach house which was like definitely not kid friendly um (laughs) but i loved all things mtv and vh1 um and i loved beverly hills 90210 Melrose Place. Um, and then I watched a lot of like Naked at Night, like where they would show like the old school stuff, like the yeah. Pretty Bunch and um, I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched and stuff like that. And I, I think I really fell in love with like that era of glamour. Yeah. Um, so that was like a big influence on me for sure. Um, and I also loved horror stuff. I was really into, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and um, Halloween and I loved like gore and zombie movies and I'm talking like when I'm like you know like a little kid in like first grade I was just like I would go to Blockbuster and like see the covers with all the cool like horror art and be like I want to know I want this and my mom for whatever reason was like yeah sure (laughs) I'm like five and she's like yeah let's just watch some like gory tits yeah you know (laughs) honestly I like I said very defining kind (laughs) of set you up to be the person you are now but it's interesting I feel like you really are like like a little gay boy like that's those are all (laughs) things like if you ask any any like millennial gay like what what were you raised on he's gonna say like MTV Beach House, Beverly mm-hmm. Hills 90210, and horror movies. Like those are the three yeah. things. <laughs> that's, that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What yeah. are you watching now? Are you, are you, do you have time to watch anything? 
Um, yeah, that's like how I unwind at night, you know, cause I think real hard all day. I'm using yeah. my brain all day. So I just want to like turn off at totally. the end of the night. Um, let's see, what have I been watching? I watched this, speaking of horror, I watched this incredible show on Netflix that like nobody seems to know about called a brand new cherry flavor. Interesting. It's insane. It's okay. insane. And it's so beautiful and just weirdo. So check it out. If you like horror, it's really different and fresh and avant-garde and I highly recommend it. Cool. Um, I've also been watching, let's see, Ozarks, of course. Love Ozarks. I love a drama. I love like a yeah. dark, you know, high stakes drama. Nice. Um, and Barry, I also love Barry. And um, there's this show is so, so cute. I think it's on HBO. Uh, the other two. Oh yeah. Yeah. With um, the, the brother and sister and then their younger brother is like the pop star. Yeah. And yeah. that is so hilarious because it's like, obviously it's like a satirical comedy about, um, you know, the, the music industry and pop culture and everything else. But like, even as outrageous as some of the situations are, they're so real. They're so yeah. real. And like the experience of being around mega fame and what it's like to be in the shadow of other people and like, or to work for other people and, you know, um, yeah. and to really care about people that are famous like that and watch what it does to them. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of real shit in there. So it has yeah. a lot of heart and it's also just hilarious and really well written. So big fan. What is the most like, insane lifestyles of the rich and famous moment that you've seen uh like from a pop star or, or a coworker, and you're just like oh my god they're they are officially out of touch with reality um i mean there have just been times you know being with being around katie or whatever where, where we're just like out and about like going to coachella or doing you know just hanging where Oh yeah, I remember she had a, a party at her house when she lived in Los Feliz and we like rolled up, it was like an Easter party or something. And there was like paparazzi with ladders, like looking oh over the fence. And it was like swarmed with paparazzi. And we're just like there with like our Easter basket. Like, <laughs> Where are the eggs like, hidden? <laughs> and, yeah. and it was just like, wow, this is like kind of scary, you know? Yeah. Um, just like very in invasive and intrusive. Yeah. Um, so just kind of seeing the sort of mob mentality that can happen around that yeah. was, was very eye-opening and strange. <laughs> so I thought you were going to say, so I don't know if you recall, but you actually know my husband, Matt. He yes. used to intern at Pulse and he has, he, yeah, he was obsessed with you, by the way. Um, like <laughs> I should be concerned, uh, but he, <laughs> he has the, the best stories of like going to get you coffee and stuff. But um, he told me a story of one time Katie was having her birthday in like Egypt, I think. And oh, yeah. every, everyone received like these big golden pyramids that opened up like as their invitation. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah, no, I still, Katie always would go all out with her birthday party stuff. Um, cause it's always around Halloween. So they would have oh, different, fun. um, themes and her invitations were always like these three dimensional, incredible things. And yes, I still have it. It's like a, a golden pyramid that opened up and then there was like a, a, a flash drive in it and you put it in and it would like play a video and like, just so amazing. Like that is she, so her cool. attention to detail. And also like, you know, she, she loves to host and she's a great host. And, 
um, yeah, I mean, some of the most memorable, memorable parties I've ever been to have been Katie's party. She's really knows how to do it right. Oh my gosh. How fun. That's awesome. I mean, I'm still like sending people like Facebook invites to parties. I need to step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So you were talking about your, your new music that you've been working on. I, I want to know all about it. What's the vibe? When can we expect it? Okay. Y'all now listen. I made a whole ass album when American Girl came out, when I was signed to Epic and I toured with it. And then the label and I didn't see eye to eye. And so that album got shelved, but I own the masters. Yes. And so in the past few years, a lot of the songs have leaked and the fans have been, you know, demanding them. So guess what y'all, I'm putting it out. I'm just going to do it. I just did. We win. <laughs> yeah. I just, I guess perseverance really pays off. Um, so I, yeah, I just did a photo shoot. I'm doing the artwork. I'm making some merch even um, because, you know, that was an album that really meant a lot to me that never saw the light of day. And I, I really appreciate so much that the fans have loved it so much over all these years and that they still are asking for it. And that was kind of like a, you know, a light bulb for me where I was like, all this time later, they still want it. Fine. I'll give the people what they want. So I'm going to put out an album from the vault um, and it'll be all, all of the ones that you're expecting and a couple extra. And then once I do that, I'm going to put out a new album. Like I have a whole other new album that's like ready to go, but I'm just like, I just want to start, get this out of my system. Cause I feel like I've just been holding onto this baby for so long and I want to have this baby and let it live in the world. Yes. So that's, yes. Birth it. Yes. So I'm going to push out the That's baby. That's right. I'm having this damn baby finally. And, um, yeah, I'm excited. And I, I, love I, it. I don't, I don't know what it'll do. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to rely heavily, I think on TikTok to just like kind of learn how to, how to market with that incredible tool at my fingertips. And yeah. so I'm hoping that everyone can kind of help me out and, <laughs> you know, take a listen and yeah. be safe and all that. So I'll for sure. Well, all of my neighbors will, will be familiar <laughs> because I'll be blasting it Amazing. once it's Thank out. You. Um, can, can you tease us with like one lyric from a new song? From a new, you don't have like to sing new, it. New you can song? say it. I mean, if you want to sing it, you can. Yeah. Something we don't know. Okay. Let me think about it. Um, from the new, new batch. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> How about I throw my hands up in the air sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Saying A-O, baby, oh. let's go. Like how deep is that? There we it's go. very deep. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> oh my gosh. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Can you quickly tell my listeners where they can find you on social media? Yes, it's just um, at my name, Bonnie McKee, um, on Twitter, on Instagram, and now on TikTok. So come check it out and I'll be posting new and also from the vault to music very soon. Can't wait. Uh, thanks again, Bonnie. This was so great. And hopefully we can chat again soon. Thank you. It was great seeing you and, and say hi for me too. I, I definitely will. I definitely will. <laughs> Bye. Bye.